Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, beauty journalist, Brittany Stewart. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island or beauty island that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the first beauty product they ever bought, the one that gives them their signature look or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. Today, my guest is Nicole Eccles, co-founder of Glasshouse Fragrances. Vivacious, driven, and with the most infectious laugh, over the last 15 years, Nicole has built a multi-million dollar business from an idea that came to her while she was casually perusing the shelves of David Jones. She's ended up basically establishing candles into a beauty category of their own. On a very rainy, early Melbourne morning, we talked the early smells that defined her childhood growing up in New York, the early entrepreneurial spirit that had her selling cookies and candy out of her locker, what she learned about beauty in her first career working in a department store beauty counter, and the eyeliner so good she's been using it for 25 years. Glasshouse Fragrances, which you've no doubt had in your own home at some point or another, has recently undergone a rebrand, and I've been very lucky enough to try some of the new products, and the look and the smell of the latest collection is beautiful. Right now, uh, literally right now, I am enjoying the regular wafts of Midnight in Milan with sensual rose, buttery saffron and just a hint of wild moss. It's delightfully sweet and sultry at the same time. Have I made you jealous yet? Well, the good news is that I want you to experience it too. So excitingly, I have two gorgeous glasshouse fragrance perfumes to give away to two people. All you have to do is sign up to my beauty newsletter. It's a beauty. The link is in the show notes and you will automatically go in the running to win. Um, All the details and as I said, the link is in the show notes of this episode. If you are already subscribed to my beauty newsletter, what excellent taste you have. Don't worry because there is also a way for you to get in on the action too. As always, if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, rate five stars and write a review. And if you're listening, share a screenshot on your Instagram story and tag me at Beauty Island Podcast so I can see. Now over to Nicole. Enjoy. Nicole, welcome to Beauty Island. I'm so so excited to be catching you in Melbourne to sit down and talk about all things beauty. Now, the power of fragrance is obviously something that is at the heart of your business. What are some of the powerful or significant smells from your childhood that you look at most fondly, the early smells? So I think that the earliest smells were more natural nature smells. So being from New York, the smell of cut grass, the smell of gasoline even, the smell of fresh cut lilacs. Being from a place where we have four seasons, there's distinct smells, pumpkin and fall. There are these distinct smells that mark the season renewal and it's exciting because ah, there's something new that's going to happen. And smell was a huge part of that. And I know that when we talk about the kind of beauty products or or beauty pieces that you grew up watching someone significant in your life apply and it is fragrance for you was there a particular fragrance that reminds you of 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 people or was it just being surrounded by perfume so my mom was a stay-at-home mom 
and there was four four of us and she wouldn't she wasn't one of the, she was more of a natural beauty i would say but she would when she was going out on date night and they didn't call it that then back then she would wear fragrance and she would emerge from the room full face with this beautiful waft of fragrance that would that would follow her and i can't recall the original scent she used to wear when i was a very small child but now the scent of Estee Lauder Beautiful, that is her. She's in her 70s, Estee Lauder Beautiful, that is her. You were born in New York. What was young or teenage Nicole like? Were you always very entrepreneurial from an early age or was it something that came later? It, that's a very funny question. and I'm, You sort of put me on the spot, but I'll tell you. So I've always been very entrepreneurial. And part of the reason for that is I had very good taste for my age and I wanted really beautiful expensive things that my parents refused to buy me. So I thought, okay, I've got to do this myself. And it was around that time that these new warehouse style businesses were coming in to be. The first one was called BJ's Wholesale Club, which is like Costco here in Australia. And so I used to go there with mom and we would buy big bags of flour and sugar and all the ingredients. And I would stay up all night long and bake cookies <laughs> and sell them in the park uh, during the summer when everyone would be outside. Because in the summer, everyone's outside. They're having lunch at the office buildings. So I would go and sell cookies. So I'd do that. I would buy big boxes of candy bars, of chocolate, gum, whatever. I'd bring it to school, fill my locker with it. The kids would run to my locker. I'd be selling stuff out of my locker. It wasn't drugs though, but you know, <laughs> close to it for a child. And with that money, I would buy what I wanted. I'd buy the Nike high top sneakers that used to make the clicking sound when you walk down the hall in the 80s. That was so very cool because of my entrepreneurial ways. And it taught me at a very young age that, well, you just if you need to make some money, just figure out a way to do that and start a business. And that's what I did every time I needed something. So very driven and taking things into your hands already. I love that. The second product on your list is the first beauty product you remember owning or buying, which for you is the Lancome Mascara. Tell me about your memories around that. So my very first visit to the beauty counter when I was, was when I was 15 and my mother was one of those people, I don't know why, but she had this rule that we weren't allowed to wear makeup till we were 16. So I be, I was obsessed with wearing makeup. I would sneak it, you know, just because I couldn't, I just was completely obsessed. So by the time it came around to where I could potentially wear makeup, my mom made a big deal of it. We went down to Macy's, we went to the beauty floor, Lancome was her brand, so we went to the Lancome counter. I had the full workup, you know, the whole thing. And I walked away with lots of things. But what I remember, I think, the most is the mascara because it's what I was allowed to wear. So my Lancome mascara was my first beauty product. This might be something that not everybody knows, but you are actually a qualified makeup artist. You used to work at Saks Fifth Avenue, I yes. believe. When you were there, what did you, and I suppose you're working on the makeup counters, you're really on the, the front line seeing what everybody's buying, but what did that period teach you or what did you learn about women's relationship with beauty and makeup? 
the power that it has. Well, it's certainly one of the most transformative things on the planet. It's unbelievably powerful. And I would work with people who would sit in that chair and they would start to be, they were one way. And when they left 45 minutes later, however long it would take, they were different. They were stronger. They were more confident. They felt better about themselves. There was this revelation that they could be or were more than they were. And it was always there. And I was absolutely fascinated by that. And it felt like philanthropy. Like I was actually doing something incredibly important. And I loved it for that reason. There's nothing superficial about it. Absolutely. And I think as well, one of the things that when you're doing makeup on other people versus just learning how to do your own face, you learn because it's not just you can do one thing on one face and then apply it to other. There's there's adaptation and things that need to go on. Is there one kind of trick or even product from those days that you kind of still think about or apply today? One of the things that I was always really fascinated by was the women that I would work with were either one of two ways. They were either completely overloaded with makeup and didn't know what to do with it, in which case I'd say, get a shoebox, put it all in there and come and see me and we're going to go through it. Or they had two things when they really needed, you know, 10. And it was all about simplifying and understanding what worked for them and just really focusing on a few things that they could do at home. Because one of the things I hate about that that world or I did back then was someone would get have their face done and it would be magnificent but there was no way that they were going to do that when they went home because they couldn't so simplifying making it easy applying it to them it's not about what I thought they should look like it's about what they felt they should look like and bringing out the best in them so they were comfortable because and that's kind of how fragrance is today. Our brand, Glasshouse Fragrances, is all about moving someone from where they're comfortable just a little to somewhere better and keeping that progression going all the time to so people can discover new things and be and feel better and have more access to things that make them feel great. The third product on your list is the two that defined your teens or your 20s, so Mac Studio Fix and Raisin Lipstick. <laughs> Tell me about those two. Who doesn't know anyone my age in their 40s knows all about Mac. So uh, Australia compared to the US and New York, one of the big differences is um, on, all, on most accounts, on all accounts, New York gets all the latest brands and, and those sort of things. There's just tons of different labels. And Mac was from Toronto at the time. And a girlfriend of mine discovered it in Toronto. It was selling at Henry Bendel's first door in New York. And I saw her one day and she had this matte foundation. And I'd never seen anything like that. This is pre-makeup artist. I'd never seen anything like it. I said, what are you wearing? She's like, oh, Studio Fix, it's the newest thing. And at that time, no brands were doing that sort of makeup artistry type of look. And so I went to Henry Bendel's, loaded up on everything I could afford, including raisin lipstick. And that was like my look of the decade. Completely matte face with a brown lip. It was just, if I did that today, I'd look terrible. <laughs> but it's, it's, 
it's coming back almost, isn't it? You're, we're seeing so many more of those like browner shades, 80s, 90s inspired. So it's interesting. Always a cycle, isn't it, with beauty and fashion? You moved to Australia in 2005. What sparked such a big move? So I, I think that I really wanted a different, I wanted to see change in a way. I wanted to, New York is a wonderful place and it's really busy and I loved my life there. But at the time I had a child and I still do, thank God. And he's he was um, 12 and I thought, you know what? Let's see where else I could live. And I wanted to live somewhere where I could still work and make the same income that I was making. So I sort of looked at the globe and decided that it was somewhere between London, because this is how simple I was thinking. We're either going to move to London or we're going to move to Sydney. There was nowhere else on the world, in the world I wanted to live. And so I just decided to come to Sydney. It was so, that was it. Incredible. And What's even more incredible is also having moved to from the UK to Australia, when you make such a big leap and you're in this entirely new environment, it can be hard to settle in or just because you're going, everything is so different. Australia is the other side of the world and sometimes it can feel like a completely different place. But it was in, I think, within a year that the inspiration for Glasshouse Fragrances came to you. Tell me about the moment that led to what is now an incredibly successful multi-million dollar business. I think you were in David Jones at the time. Yes, I was in David Jones. And I think, as I was saying before, I came from a market where there was just a lot of every everything, beautiful brands all the time, new, new, new. And as a beauty junkie and someone from this industry, that's really important. So when I moved here, I noticed there was a big gap in a lot of things so on the fragrance floor they were all the mainstream fragrances and I looked for body care bath and body care and at that time all you could really find in this market was L'Occitane and Crabtree and Evelyn so I felt right away there was this country is the best in the world but we need more stuff (laughs) and so my my first idea which is the idea that we've brought to life was to start a fragrance brand which was beautiful fragrances available in a range of products so I thought okay great we're gonna do that but we'll start with the candle because there's not a single one here and so that's how we started and the rest is history we've just been keeping it up with this mammoth beautiful brand and all of the beautiful candles and home fragrances that we've made and Finally, we've we're, we've just relaunched with everything else, beautiful body lotions and eau de parfum, so I could complete that journey. And it's interesting as well because obviously now candles have almost become a beauty category in themselves, particularly in the last few years. But you were saying back in 2006 when this idea was kind of forming, there wasn't there a wasn't market. any there was yeah. no so we built a category. There were no candles in the market. And what had happened was when you did find them and they were they worked and they were beautiful, they were imported. They were sent from the US or Europe to a distributor that then sold to a wholesaler. And then what would happen is the price, because everyone has to make a living and the margins would add up, they were unaffordable. 
a hundred dollar candle that in in the market it came from was twenty five dollars. It just wasn't okay in my mind. Now I understand the economics, but as a consumer, I said, "Oh, this is terrible. We need where's our candles? Why why doesn't Australia have these?" So that was I said, "Great, this is what I'm going to do." And obviously, Glass House is stocked in lots of independent retailers as well as David Jones and Peter Alexander. Tell me a bit about having that kind of realization and idea and kind of seeing the first candle in your major stockist. So it took about a year, which is crazy, to bring a product to market that quickly. Saw the gap, thought, great, this is exactly what we're going to do here. There was a business plan that was written, and then I needed investment because I didn't have it. So I found a wonderful business partner, thus the title co-founder, who worked with me on that and we built a factory because we wanted to be in control of our quality we wanted to be in control of our of how we made our products so we built this candle factory and we started making we ordered glass i worked with the most incredible perfumers in new york to do the collection we'd have little focus groups or i'd have focus groups in my pots point apartment so we could work through a hundred cents and work out which fragrances really resonated with the market here because I wasn't sure about that. Don't forget I had just arrived. So I didn't know the retailers. I didn't know anything. And so within a year, we built this brand. And I was in a terrible rush because I thought to myself, this is a clear and open gap. And if I don't do it quickly, someone else is going to. And... So we had this great lead and advantage because we got to the market so quickly. So by December 2006, we launched and there was 15 cents, I believe. And we just launched with a candle. And then a few months later, we did a body bar, which is our soap product. Then we did after that, we did diffusers about a year after that. And we just kept as we could afford it. We just kept building onto that. The fourth product on your list is your greatest beauty discovery or holy grail, which is the Dermalogica Daily Microfoliant Scrub. Tell me about that one. Well, that's a new one. So a friend of mine, Emma Hobson, is their national training manager. And we caught up for lunch a couple of months ago. And she gave me a bunch of the Dermalogica products. And I'd never used this daily. Have you used it? I have, yes. I love it. I love the smell of it. And I love scrubbing my face with a bit of water. It's my new favorite thing. And I think I'm really obsessed with dewy skin and beautiful skin. So I love doing that to my face. There is something about it when you can actually kind of feel it happening in beauty products that make the experience even better, I think. And you can control how the grittiness of it. Yeah. By just adding more water, which is what I really love about it. I know that you do a lot of travel and obviously... Just looking at the names of some of the Glasshouse products, obviously a lot of products and scents are inspired by that travel. But tell me more about getting the uh, the idea for a scent or where else you draw your inspiration from and how you actually convert that into not something physical, but scent isn't physical, but something that you can recreate and, and other people can take into their homes. So I work with the most incredible fragrance houses. And one of the great advantages of 
being the size that we are is that we have access to the most incredible perfumers. And they are the same perfumers that work on some of the most luxurious brands in the world. And so you can work with a brief, and it can be very conceptual, talking about a travel experience or something you've experienced. I haven't been to all of the places. I wish I could say that I have, but I have not. I've been to many of them. But I can talk to the perfumers and we can talk about the art direction, the concept of a place, and some of the notes that might be really attractive. For example, Midnight in Milan, which is based around a saffron idea. And you'll talk to the perfumer and they will come up with the most incredible array of ideas that then I art direct. So I'll work with them to say, oh, can you dial that note up? Can you dial that note down? And then we, you end up with a juice that's incredible that then gets converted into whatever product. So the seven eau de parfums that we've just launched, there are fragrances in there that have been in a candle for a very long time, like Kyoto and Bloom and Forever Florence, which is, we've renamed the products. And those candles actually started out as a fine fragrance. So it's a trickle down. And that's what the seven eau de parfums are because we knew that we were going here. So let's create a beautiful perfume and let's turn it into a product, a, a candle. And I don't know whether it changes regularly or whether you have your, your own personal favorites, but what are you currently or what do you like to burn in your own home? What's kind of your candle of choice at the moment or of all time? I burn lots of new things all the time because I'm always trying new things. But I would say right now, one of my favorite things is Forever Florence. I love using the Hamptons. Taha. I know that's my dirty little secret because it's sweet and it doesn't seem very sophisticated, but it's <laughs> very sophisticated because it's so sticky and sweet and gooey and butterscotch on the cold. But when it's burning, it's incredibly toasty and comforting. So I, I like a lot of things and I pretty much love most things in our range, which they're just things that are meaningful. They're good. And you don't have to like everything. That's the point. That's why we have so many. And I would rather someone be shocked and horrified or absolutely in love than right in the middle with our fragrances. The fifth product on your list, sticking with scent, is the perfume that has a special memory for you, which for you is Fendi. Tell me what it is and what those memories are. So when I was in high school, I didn't want to be a high schooler. I wanted to be like a 30-year-old diva, <laughs> you know, with, with jewels and diamonds. I don't know what I was thinking. And so I would wear Fendi, which is this really heavy, heady, follows you around fragrance. And I would waft down the hallways with Fendi on. And it was so distinctive. And I'll never forget it. And I can't believe I think about it now. I look back and I actually still like that scent a lot. But it's really full on. <laughs> and I used to wear that in high school and waft around the hallways. And it's just something that I remember. It is the scent of high school for me. What is the proudest moment for you in with Glasshouse or in your, your career so far? I There have been so many incredibly proud moments that I'm really grateful to have had. My biggest weakness is I'm on 
I'm, I'm always on the go, 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 go. So I don't take the time to actually stop and be grateful or thankful or think, wow, this is really incredible what we've just achieved. I'm always thinking about where we need to go, where we're going. But I would say when we had our first counter that we built and you could see the glass house fragrances there and it was a proper beauty counter with the lights and the glitz and the glamour. I looked at it and it had materialized in a way that I could visualize and I could see it. And it brought a tear to my eye because I thought, you know, wow, this is, this is, we've really done something here. And that was a very, very proud moment. But there's been so many, but that's the one where I remember stopping and being, being present and taking note of it. And obviously it's coming up to or I don't know if this year is the 15th year since you started and obviously it's not just glasshouse candles now it's become something even bigger what do you think is the secret to enduring and lasting what has been such a changing time in beauty and retail in general the big thing is we lead with brand not just product and we focus on both so quality is everything and as a candle maker when we the, the product of candles, that takes a lot of time to get right. Anyone who's listening who's ever tried to make a candle, you spend all this time, you get all excited, you melt it down, and then you go to burn it. You say, I can't even smell it, or it's not burning properly. It takes time to get there. So the quality is absolutely important. We are pedantic about it, and we've never been in decline. So we started the category and as any growing category other brands launch into the category but the base of customers is growing as that happens and so it goes but we've managed to hold our own and stay in growth no matter what happens around us and it's because we are absolutely committed to satisfying our customers and listening and creating things that they want and going and trying new things so that's i think one of the big things that we've 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 that have made us successful. The sixth product on your list is a bit of a collection of products, but it's the ones that either contribute to your signature look or give you that confidence boost that we talk about make that we talked about makeup giving you before. So for you, it's the Tom Ford eyebrow pencil, foundation, and mascara. Tell me about those three. I have I have a spare product drawer, so a drawer where when I run out of something, I'll go to that bag and get one. And I've noticed I have a problem because when I go to that bag, I have about 15 eyebrow pencils and I'm thinking, when did I buy these and what was I going to do with all these eyebrow <laughs> pencils? But the one that I go to that, that I like the best is the Tom Ford one. And the thing is, is I don't, I'll spend $5 on something or I'll spend a hundred. I don't care as long as it works and it looks good. And I do love the Tom Ford eyebrow pencil because I, I like doing my eyes. I don't really spend much time on the other parts of my face. I do my eyes and then I'm out the door. So my eyebrow pencil and my mascara and my, what's the other one? My foundation. Yeah. And is that the Hydro Boost? Yeah, Hydro Boost. Yeah. One of the best. So I had been traveling. I had my really expensive foundation. I don't know if it was Armani or what it was. And I had forgotten it. So I went into the pharmacy and the, and I just said, okay, well, Hydro Boost, okay, I'll just try it. But it's got a wand, so when you open it, the wand is attached to the lid. So you just go swipe, 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 oh. put it on. It's, it's um, plumping. It's a bit shiny. It's sheer. It doesn't lay up in wrinkles. It's the best 
thing ever. And the thing I'm so excited about is because how cheap it is. <laughs> yeah, and so that is down as, as the product you would trust with your life. So has that become your go-to foundation? Well, though? it's... Or you still like to I mix have, it up? I have. Anyone who goes into my bag, there's about... I tra- I need a, When I travel, I have a suitcase just for beauty products and hair. So I, it's there's never going to be one thing. There's I need I need a whole collection. You of need things. choices. Keep it open. I, I get it. So <laughs> it's very hard to say that. It's very hard to say that. I need it's, about five things. <laughs> but it's one of your favorites. It's one of the things. You have given a number of of lectures and speeches, and everyone is interested in the learnings from your business. And one piece of advice that stuck out to me in a speech that I read that I think applies to anyone, no matter what industry or whatever you're in, is this idea of don't overdose on research because you still have to make the decision. Sometimes you just need to take the leap. I wonder if you could tell me a bit more about that and why you think that is such an important nugget to remember when we can be so crippled by needing to know the data or and obviously that's important to some extent but at some point you've just got to as you say jump off and take the leap if you want to to see if it works if you're in an artisanal category like like we are you cannot rely on what everyone says that they want because they don't know yet so henry ford used to say if he had asked his customers what they wanted they would have said faster horses who was the first car, the Model T. So I believe in that. But I do think research is important, particularly when you're a bigger business because there's a lot more at stake. But only to get an indication of of maybe some signals of things. But at the end of the day, you still have to make decisions despite that, particularly in a category like our And fashion too. I mean, people are relying on you to bring to market the best trends, the new ideas. You can't ask them if they knew they'd be asking for it and someone else, Unilever Unilever would have done it. So we can't rely on research. We have to do it ourselves, but it's nice to know category size, where some opportunity might be in a new product that's trending or growing. I think that's really great advice. And yeah, like you said, that there's that balance, but particularly when you're almost kind of in, in the startup phase, that initial phase, trusting you, you really might be onto something as, as you were and going for it. Because if you, like you said, if you hadn't, there wasn't that, those competitors to look at in a market, you might never have done it if you'd been looking around being like, oh, there's no candles, therefore no one must want candles. If we had done a focus group and said, would you like to pay $30 for a scented candle? I can tell you right now, the answer would have been no. And we would not be here. So that is why I'm very cautious about it. Who is someone who has really or continues, con- continues to shape or inspire you? And that can be personally or professionally. I, th- I love looking back at, there's certain authors that I like to read and I like to reflect on. Jim Collins writes a book called Good to Great, which is a great business book. And it, it's so simple, but it, what happens for me and for a lot of people, I think is you get caught up in the detail and you forget the point. So forest through the trees, they call it the forest trees dynamic. You can't see the forest through the trees. So I like authors. I like Simon Sinek. I like anyone who says, wait a minute, stop getting confused in that detail and come back up to the point and stay there. And then you'll be able to drill back down with with a purpose, with a sense of clarity. That is really interesting to me. And I have a 
great network of people that I surround myself with that I like to bounce ideas off of and I like to talk to because sometimes you just need to work through things. If you're constant, they say your head's like a bad neighborhood, don't go there alone. <laughs> and sometimes you have to stay out of that neighborhood and make sure you're with a community of people that you can talk to who are smart and have ideas. Outside of beauty and the business, what's something that you're really passionate about? So I have, as you could probably guess, a very keen and very astute olfactory, if I do say so myself. So I'm a little bit obsessed with all things that smell, and that includes cooking and cooking ingredients. And and so I, so if I want to relax and I just want to not, I'll, I'll cook or I'll think about some complicated. It was funny. We were, me and my team were at Chin Chin last night, and I got both of the cookbooks, which I will never use <laughs> because the ingredients, we one recipe has about 27 million ingredients. And it's such a nice idea. And I think to myself, one day when I retire, I'll have time to cook some of these recipes. <laughs> to find all the ingredients. <laughs> to find the ingredients. Uh, but I love cooking. I love traveling. Despite how much I travel already, I still always enjoy that. I love spending time with my family. I'm a very simple person outside of this beautiful business that takes 99.9% of my time. (laughs) The final products on your list are the ones that you always repurchase. So again, we have a few. We've got the Chanel Eyeliner in Espresso, the Glossier Concealer, Clarins Mascara, and Laura Mercier Primer Base. Tell me about those, what you like about each one of those so much. So my brother works in beauty in New York, so he's worked for different brands over the years, and I always get free stuff all the time, and he was working for Clarence at one point, and he gave me some a bunch of Clarence products, and you wouldn't think of Clarence for beauty, you think of Clarence for skincare. Anyway, I had this mascara, and I thought, okay, I'll just use it. Now it's like, that's the mascara I buy, and I buy that all the time, so I love that. Glossier Foundation, uh, Glossier is a girl crush brand for me. I think that what they've done is incredible. So when I'm in New York, I go up to the little pop-up and I'm, I just want to buy stuff <laughs> from them. And, uh, and I I bought some concealer. I said, yeah, that's good. I like their concealer. So I'm buying that. Concealer is another one of those products where I open the drawer and I have 100 and I work through them. Concealer and uh, Espresso Chanel Eyeliner. That is just one of those auto purchase. I need another one. I need another one. I love how creamy it is. I love how once it dries down, it does not come off. You could sleep in it. It's such a good product and so easy to use and you don't have to sharpen it or worry about it. So I love that one. And I've been using that for 25 years since I worked for Chanel. So that's a great product too. An enduring beauty love affair, that one. Yes. Now I did but also want to talk about, because you mentioned when you travel having that big suitcase of beauty and hair and the hair product that you've talked about as one of your current favorites is the L'Oreal Professional Techni Whip. Yes. Tell me about that one. So I have naturally wavy curly hair and in humidity it loves to do little flittery things with pieces. I call them pieces that fly up off my head. And it's like you can have a slick look when you're trying to do that whole like Diane Steele. And then there goes the little wiry pieces. This thing takes them all down. So I love just putting that. It's like a, a gooey sort of paste. And it holds back all those little pieces. So I like that. And I take that with me. Because when you're traveling, you don't have time to really do your hair 
you're, it's always going to be back in a bun or in some kind of ponytail, perpetual ponytail, and you need that to keep it looking slick. Nicole, you've talked us through the products that have special memories and meanings for you. Now, you mentioned that it was hard to get those eight, so I imagine that this question might send you into a bit of a spin, which is <laughs> oh, no. if you could take just one with you to Beauty Island, you can throw practicality out the window. This is just the product that you want to kind of keep you company because of what it signifies for you. Which one, and it, it, it can be practical if you want it to be, but which one are you going to take with you to Beauty Island? I think it would definitely be the eyebrow pencil because without eyebrows, nobody looks good. <laughs> and when you when your eyebrows are on, you feel better. So I think it would have. I'd have to say if you put the skincare aside, cause, and I know that we can't talk about boring things like sunscreen. I always give you sunscreen because I want you to be sun safe on the island, so you don't have to count <laughs> okay. that. You've got that eyebrows. You're going to have the best eyebrows on this island, <laughs> this desert island. Nicole, thank you so much. It has been so much fun thank talking you, to Brittany. you this morning. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the fabulous Nicole Eccles. You can find where to follow her, find out more about Glasshouse Fragrances and the new collection, plus all the products and the books she spoke about in today's episode in the show notes. Wherever you are listening, just click on the episode and find the button that says more details and, and or show more and you'll be able to see all this information. A reminder that you can win some Glasshouse Fragrance goodies plus a few other Beauty Island faves for yourself. Just sign up to my beauty newsletter, It's a Beauty, by next Monday and you will automatically be entered Again, all the details you can find are in the show notes. If you fancy chatting more beauty after all this, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany Beauty BTS, where I regularly share products I'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture and some behind the scenes stuff from the podcast too. Thank you so much. As an independent podcast, I really, really appreciate all your support. So until next time, bye bye.